0: the show for entrepreneurs, business owners, and business leaders. I'm Marty Wolf, your host for The Business Builder Show, and along with my executive producer, D.C. Taylor, we will be your guides on this learning journey. Let me tell you my super objective in being with you today. I want to enthusiastically share stories and information to inspire leaders. That's you, by the way. So you can inspire others. My special guest with me today is Dr. Stephen J. Rogelberg. Hello, Dr. Rogelberg. How are you, sir? I am good. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled you're here. Can I call you Stephen from here on out? Yes, you can. Okay, very good. Let's do a formal introduction here. For more than 20 years, Stephen J. Rogelberg, Director of the Organizational Science PhD Program at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, And the 2018 winner of the prestigious Humboldt Award for his research work on meetings has studied this problem called meetings. The title of his book, where he's going to talk about today, he's going to talk about it today, is The Surprising Science of Meetings, How You Can Lead Your Team to Peak Performance. Um, Stephen, the Washington Post had something nice to say about your work here. They say that your book is one of the 10 leadership books to watch for in 2019. Wow, that's a big deal. How did that make you feel? Oh, my gosh.
1: It was <laughs> such a surprise.
0: Yeah, I, I
1: mean, the book came out, um, I think, January 2nd. And then the next day, the Washington Post uh gave it that ranking, and then it was a week after that, um, the Business Insider named it the top 14 books um, folks will be reading in 2019. And in both of these cases, I happened upon the the news just by seeing it on Google. I had no idea it was happening.
0: Wow, what a pleasant surprise. (laughs) Not only that, but apparently you did some great work here, so people are noticing it. And let's also say that a gentleman who most of my audience will recognize, Adam Grant, Here's what he says about the book. He says it contains the best evidence on how we can stop wasting time in falling victim to group think. Okay, so we're talking meetings, Stephen. Hmm. Do we really need a book on how to do meetings? Obviously, you're being recognized, but talk to me about that. Do we need a book to tell us how to run meetings?
1: Well, when you look at how much frustration there is, and that meetings keep um, emerging as the activity that's costing, that's causing the most frustration and considered the biggest time waster at work, uh, clearly people are not good (laughs) (laughs) at leading meetings, and they do need help. Um, You know, what's different about this book is that it's based on a science. um, Mm -hmm. You know, and so we can offer guidance to leaders that, um, Mm. I think can move the dial.
0: Well, I've read the book. Uh, I enjoyed it. And I'm one of these guys that think I'm pretty good at doing meetings until I read your book. So now I'm a little depressed. Um, (laughs) but I need, I know, I recognize they need some work, but what I found, well, I found a whole bunch of things but on, I think it's on page nine, that $1.4 trillion are spent on meetings every year. Is that an accurate number? It appears, um, you know, based on kind of economic projections of how
1: much time people spend in meetings coupled with their, you know, typical salaries. Um, and then you kind of, you know, consider what people indicate of the return on investment.
0: Mm.
1: You are know, able to identify the costs. Mm. um, as well as the return. And you know, frankly, I think these data, um, they're underestimates um, because they don't take into consideration things such as opportunity costs, um, right? People could be doing other activities that are more constructive. It doesn't take into consideration um, that people are frustrated and bad meetings leads to a lack of engagement. Mm. And it doesn't take into consideration something called meeting recovery syndrome. And this is the idea that when we have a bad meeting, we just don't at it at the door it sticks with us and we ruminate and we co-ruminate so there's the direct costs but then there's a host of indirect costs
0: yeah it is it is big stuff and i really uh, i'm really impressed with it so but there are some people who think we need to reduce her in some cases i think it's peter drucker who actually said maybe we should eliminate meetings Do you agree with that or you're writing I a don't. book about meetings, so I, maybe you don't. Talk to me about I that. I
1: don't. Um, and I've thought a lot about this. Um, in fact, we've done research on this topic and you know, examining kind of employee productivity and their perceptions of what an ideal day is like. And it's, they're not days absent of meetings. Um, they're days absent of crappy meetings, mm-hmm. but not absent of meetings. Um, the elimination of meetings is inherently a false goal. Um, without meetings... Communication, coordination, cooperation, consensus, decision-making are all compromised. Um, In many regards, organizational democracy takes place in meetings. Mm. So we don't want to get rid of them because there would be so many other consequences associated with it. But we do want to get rid of wasted time in meetings. Mm. And that's a problem that can indeed be solved.
0: Yes, and I suggest that people get your book right away, The Surprising Science of Meetings, How You Can Lead Your Team to Peak Performance. Again, my guest is Stephen G. Rogelberg, I'll spell his last name, R-O-G-E-L-B-E-R-G. You want to get this book, and we'll mention different contact points of Stephen in a a minute or two. On the other side of the spectrum, I guess in terms of Peter Drucker is a guy named Andy Grove, and you quote him a couple times. He feels pretty strong about having great meetings, doesn't he?
1: He did. Um, He really saw organizational greatness tied to um, effectiveness of meetings, and he was so committed to it that early on in Intel's um, existence, he actually conducted all the meeting effectiveness training himself Hmm. um, as CEO. Um, He really wanted to help establish um, a culture and an organization that would meet right, and I think it's commendable. Right. I mean, we we know that what can make an organization special is when people are able to effectively work together, and bring out the best. You know, I know your audience has passion around entrepreneurial issues. Well, we know that when folks come together, you know, greatness and innovation um, and creativity can happen, but it depends on people working effectively to one another, listening carefully and bringing out the best in each other. And so our ability to lead meetings um, is paramount to mm. that goal of individuals working effectively.
0: I want to go deeper on that, but I—it was it Andy Grove who mentioned that I can't remember the exact quote, but you're, he felt if you don't, run, if you're not running a good meeting, if you're not participating, you're actually stealing from the company. Didn't he say something like that in your book?
1: Yeah, I mean, basically, it's this idea that when you, it's almost like a time theft, um, mm-hmm. and you know, when meetings aren't done well, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're hemorrhaging the resource that we need most of, which is
0: time. Sure, absolutely. So the leadership role, let's talk about the leadership role. Let's get into some, um, you know, I guess uh, bullet points, if you will. Uh, How important is the leader's role in having effective meetings? And actually, you mentioned some facilitation behaviors, uh, which are aligned with uh, servant leadership. So let's talk about those. I think there's five of them, the first one being time management. So let's talk about the leader's role in meetings. Yeah. um, The leader plays such a critical role. Um,
1: So there are approximately 55 million meetings a day in the U.S. alone. Mm -hmm. Um, And interestingly... The best estimates suggest that only 20% of leaders receive any training on how to lead a meeting. <sighs> um, this is an incredible organizational blind spot. Right? How do you have this incredibly common activity that leaders really don't have training on how to do? And. The role of the leader is so important in meetings, right? They are the the orchestrator. They call folks together. Um, They're the host. They're the facilitator. Um, They have a multifaceted role, and they're not prepared to carry it out. And so when we think about... you know the most successful leaders it starts with their mindset mm. that when leaders truly kind of embrace the notion that they are inherently a steward of others time mm-hmm. which is what they are yes mm-hmm. and they fully recognize that they are stewards of, of others time then they start making choices and decisions and that's the piece that often gets neglected in meetings so much of meeting behavior from when meetings occur to how meetings are run are just habits People aren't really thinking. They're dialing it in. And so the most effective leaders, once you have that mindset, they start making choices. They start thinking carefully, well, who really needs to be there? What do we truly need to cover versus what can be done via an email? Um, how much time do we really need to have as opposed to just defaulting to the one hour that Outlook demands of us? Um, so meeting activity starts to become purposeful. And this is not a difficult activity for us or difficult mindset for us. I'll I'll leave. I'll finish my answer with this one point. Um, When you think about an individual in an organization and they have a meeting with a customer, they think about it, right? They don't just dial that in. They think about, they think carefully about that meeting and they want to make sure that they do it in a way that honors their time because they don't want to lose that customer. That act is what we don't do when it comes to, meetings with our employees
0: yeah it's just another checklist checkoff i guess uh, in some cases uh, and and actually that leads me to another question i have on my sheet of paper here is the agendas you 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 would you devote an entire chapter to agendas and you started out by not uh, being uh you kind of like just agendas a little bit but then you explain so talk to me about that yeah
1: um so agendas are really an interesting topic in that if you open most books, they say, hey, you must have agendas. Um, so you have all these leaders who think by having an agenda uh, that they're a good meeting leader. But the research doesn't, doesn't support that. Uh, having an agenda in and of itself does not do anything to improve meeting effectiveness. And this really shouldn't surprise us when one considers that 50 percent of agendas appear to be recycled. Um, <laughs> what it comes down to is what's on the agenda um, is the, are the items truly relevant, um, and most importantly, how that agenda is facilitated? Um, you know, how did you cover the items? Those are the things that matter the most. So, you know, agendas can absolutely be made effective, but in of themselves, they're not. Um, and I'll, I'll share one example sure. that. Um, Seems to really connect with folks. Sure. Uh, so I'm, I'm a big fan, and periodically um, thinking about your agenda a little bit differently. So instead of framing your agenda as topics to be addressed, consider framing your agenda as questions to be answered. Mm. And it's a very intriguing notion because mm-hmm. when you think of it as questions to be answered, I think you have a better sense of who really needs to be there versus who's optional. Uh, you have a, a sense of when to end the meeting because the questions have been answered. You have a sense if the meeting's been successful, because the questions appear to be answered in a compelling way. And if you can't come up with any questions, that's an indication that perhaps you shouldn't be having a meeting. Mm,
0: that's a great insight. I like that. Another thing that popped in my brain while you're saying that is that you suggest starting and ending meetings at like odd times. Instead of 10 o'clock, you say, it, it'll begin at 10.10. Uh, is that, am I accurate in that? And why, why, why would that, why would that help us?
1: My overarching recommendation is I want leaders to think carefully about, um, how much time is needed Mm -hmm. to carry out their agenda. Mm -hmm. And I don't want them just to default to the one hour. There's no magical reason that meetings are an hour. Uh, they can be 48 minutes. They can be 42 minutes. They can start at 10 minutes after the hour. The leader can make those choices. The leader can think carefully about how long that meeting should be. And don't let the computer program control your choices. Mm. And once you determine an amount of time for a meeting, you know, what I also encourage the leader to do is actually dial it back a little bit. Mm -hmm. Create a little extra pressure. Uh, The research shows that when you create a little extra pressure, groups are more focused and they perform more
0: optimally. So my guest is Stephen G. Rogelberg, R-O-G-E-L-B-E-R-G. Stephen, how do you want people to connect with you?
1: Well, I'd love for them to visit my webpage. Um, and there's a few ways of getting there. So you could go to StevenRogelberg.com. S-T-E-V-E-N-R-O-G-E-L-B-E-R-G.com. You can go to the Surprising Science dot com or the surprising science of meetings dot com mm. and so there's lots of ways of getting there and my webpage um has more information on my book as well as um you know resources on meetings mm-hmm. so i hope we can get people to go to the surprising science dot com
0: surprising science dot com okay speaking of different times and variations and things like that i really there, there's a couple points i want to drive a couple more points i want to drive home sure the the idea of variations in uh, walking meetings stand-up meetings talk to me about that sure well right now most meetings
1: are run the same way Um, they're occurring in conference rooms around round tables with people sitting Um, and that's fine Um, but with 55 million meetings it's nice to kind of mix things up a bit. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, consider a standing meeting. I don't mean you should do it every single time, but Mm -hmm. it might be worth trying. Um, The research on standing meetings um, is really supportive. It produces the same quality outcomes as sitting meetings, but in half as much time. You know, if you have a, a couple individuals, uh, try a walking meeting. Mm. Um, the data on walking meetings is, is, is really positive. People tend to be more um, satisfied and also seems to generate more creative outcomes. Now, in all these situations, you want to recognize that there are, in a sense, um, key rules of conduct. Mm-hmm. So for example, <laughs> with walking meetings, um, as I mentioned, there really should only be, you know, two or three people total. You need to tell people in advance that you're doing a walking meeting so they have the right shoes. You wanna make sure you plan your route so that you basically kind of walk in a circle. And you wanna think carefully about the agenda, right? If you're not gonna be able to walk with your laptop out, so, um, you know, you just have to make sure that the content matches. I'm a big fan of walking meetings as a way for a leader to kind of check in with sure. their team. Sure. Uh, so I would love to see people really work walking meetings into kind of their overall routines.
0: I think that's a good point to work to work all these different variations into if you're used to having those sit-around meetings, again, the size that you point out, that the, the number of attendees impacts this one way or another. But, um, you know, trying different things out, different size groups, and you go into the detail, and I liked all of that. Um, you're not a big fan of uh, phone-in meetings, or you're on the, you're on the phone and you're joining that meeting, you know, audio only. And I think you say one of the traps might be, do you call it social loafing? Is that what it's called? Yeah. <laughs> Talk to me about yeah. that. So f- phone meetings um, can
1: work, but th- their propensity to experience dysfunction is very, very high. Um, mm. So a leader has to be on top of her or his game. Um, and when you have no visual cues in particular, um, then people tend to kind of fade off into the background. Mm-hmm. And that's really what social loafing is about. Social loafing is we, you know, basically kind of defer to others to do the heavy lifting, and we just kind of fade off to the background. And kind of a fun research finding helps summarize this. If I ask individuals, tell me about the most dysfunctional meeting type, they will say the remote meeting. Mm -hmm. When I say to them, tell me about the meeting type you most prefer to go to, they will say the remote meeting. (laughs) And I'm assuming by your laugh that you know the the punchline, which is they prefer it because they can multitask. Sure. And so that's extremely problematic. <laughs> you know, that's it very is. problematic. It and is. but I think it speaks to the dysfunction of a remote
0: meeting. That's why the leader is so important. Just, just as a side note, that um, you know, in my in my world, I'm do executive coaching, and I and I hold a lot of meetings. I'm in, I'm involved, and I help people with their meetings. Here's an aside, just FYI, and see if you agree or disagree. I started to do more Zoom meetings when I'm, you know, and in an interval. You'll call them interview meetings. You know, every week I touch, I have a formal meeting every two, something like that. But here's the point. So on a Zoom call, I can see the entire room, which is typically six to ten people. What I found fascinating, Stephen, on a Zoom call is I never recognized it until about a year ago. I can see people's body language. I can see them using their phone or not using their phone. I can see them rolling their eyes. I found that fascinating. Yes. What do you think of that? Yeah. You know, absolutely.
1: These meetings um, improve when there's more visual cues. Mm -hmm. It definitely helps, Mm -hmm. but it's still not enough. Uh, Mm -hmm. The leader, you know, what's interesting, um, I'll give you an example from, you know, classic research on groups. Um, They used to take you know, still does, takes place um, in universities where they would bring groups in and they would videotape them. And so you'd see a camera in the room And what the research shows is that, you know, after the first five minutes, people are very sensitive to the camera Mm -hmm. and it's affecting their behavior. But after five minutes, the camera actually starts losing any effect. Mm. People completely forget and habituate to it. And that happens with kind of video-based meetings, too. So even though the visual cues help, still people don't feel like they're truly being fully seen.
0: I could could see that. Yeah.
1: So the leader, to make these meetings uh, work, the leader has to keep calling people out. Um, they have to constantly be saying, "Hey, you know, I haven't heard from you, uh, Jane. I haven't heard Gordon. What do you think? You know, Sasha. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I'd love to hear your input on this." Mm-hmm. And so they're constantly using names. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, use to, names to get people. Mm-hmm. And you know, the other thing is these these kind of video and remote meetings. We have to do them differently. They have to be tight. Um, they have to be shorter. They have to have really compelling agendas. We have to leverage alternative tools. So, for example, there's great apps out there that allow people to vote quickly, um, mm-hmm. even you know, using their phones. So if you want to test consensus, easy apps for pulling that off. Um, so... You know, there's just there's a, there's a variety of things right. to to really make, the, and that's why my book. Um, I spent a lot of time on this because you know clearly these technology facilitated meetings are on the rise. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I gave it a lot of attention um, because they are uh, they are they are more tricky and nuanced.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's finish up with this. Uh, I found really fascinating. I took notes uh, on this one more than the rest of the book. Brain writing. No More Talking, Chapter 9. I love that. Tell us about that. Sure.
1: Well, it's, again, it's founded in research. And um, what we have found um, in the literature is that uh, when groups carry out this very, very common exercise of brainstorming um, or ideation, that basically if you have groups do it in silence, where they just write down their ideas or put them into an app, um, in comparison to groups who all do it face to face in real time, the silent groups will actually outperform the mm. the talking groups um, dramatically. They will produce more ideas, mm. but even more importantly, the ideas that are generated are more creative and disruptive. Um, you know, people are free, right? They're not subject to these kinds of um, peer pressure. Like mm. you don't know what someone else is writing mm. down as you're writing down your ideas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the things I really wanted to emphasize in the book is that there's just so many different techniques and tools that can be used to make the most of time. And so what's different about my book, and maybe this is why, um, you know, the Washington Post and Business Insider called it out and why it's doing well, is my book is not prescriptive. It doesn't say first do this, then do that, and then do this, Mm -hmm. because that doesn't work. What my book does is it presents Um, readers with a variety of different approaches. And then what their job is, is to look at their people, look at their task, look at their history, look at their style, and then pick the right tools or the right approaches that could work for them. Mm. And give it a go, see what happens mm. um, and so it 's the book just tries to give people lots and lots of options and I think what will inevitably happen is that and, I, and it sounds like this might have been your experience as you re, as you read it is you know there'll be certain things that are just going to connect with you, mm-hmm. and you 're going to realize that they 're easy to do, mm. and just Give it a go, and I very much, and this kind of is a nice, perhaps tie back to your audience. You know, I'm a, I'm a big believer that you know we act like entrepreneurs um, not only externally, but we do it internally. But when we tr- are willing to try a new idea and then learn and reflect on it, then we're acting like you know, entrepreneurs, um, Mm -hmm. and it starts to create a culture of experimentation, a culture of learning and growth, and this is how we become, you know, thriving organizations that are resilient to environmental changes, but also always on the leading edge.
0: After all, that's why you wrote the book, that's why we all want to do this, is because it's all about the purpose of having better meetings for more effectiveness, personal satisfaction, on and on and on and on, so the book is The Surprising Science of Meetings, and the subtitle is important. How You Can Lead Your Team to Peak Performance. My guest has been Steven Rogelberg, R-O-G-E-L-B-E-R-G. Tell us again the site, uh, the websites, and the connections you want me- to make sure that people hear about.
1: Excellent. Well, definitely feel free to reach out on LinkedIn, um, but you can come to my website, stevenrogelberg.com. Um, that's a fast one. Um, the Surprising Science dot com the surprising science of meetings dot um, but yeah. definitely connect um, and I, I hope that the book brings great value to you
0: well I know it's going to bring value to the two meetings I have tomorrow because <laughs> <laughs> they're going to experience some new things based on what I've learned uh, from you so thank you so much for uh, being part of the business Builders show my pleasure thank you so much for listening to the business Builders show to learn more about me and I'm Marty Wolf go to Marty Wolf, dot com. That's Marty Wolf, dot com. To learn more about Kelly Hoey, go to her website, which is jkellyhoey.co dot co. That's jkellyhoey.co And of course, you can find Kelly and Marty on LinkedIn and Twitter. A reminder you can find all our business builders shows on iTunes, Spotify, and on your favorite podcast app. Bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf.